Well, join with me, if you would, in opening your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to close out the first chapter of Colossians today, and I think uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, and then we will pray and uh, dig in to this text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works 
within me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that instructs us of, of your greatness, of the supremacy of Christ in all things, of our nature apart from you, and of the ministry that you have called us to. It is a glorious calling. It is a privileged calling. And yet, Lord, we confess that, uh, that far too often uh, we have not improved our opportunities. Uh, conversations that could have been turned to spiritual things. Uh, maybe, maybe even opportunities to share the gospel or to serve were, were passed by. We didn't speak up. We didn't stop. We didn't help. We didn't serve. Lord, forgive us for not improving our opportunities for, for spiritual things and for spiritual purposes and to, to call people to be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you that in Christ there is forgiveness. And we're reminded in 1 Peter 1.23 that since we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And so, Lord, your word has, has shown us the truth of Christ and what he has done for us. And it is through that that we are born again, made alive, forgiven of our sins. Lord, I pray that you would make us, uh, as a church, kind. Kind towards one another, uh, but kind towards those uh, outside the church as well. And Lord, I pray that, that, that our kindness would be unique and that we would, we, we would think that the most kind thing we could ever do was introduce somebody to Jesus Christ or to remind each other of who we are in Christ and of who you are over us and for us. Lord, we pray also this morning for Walla Walla Presbyterian for their pastor there, Albert. Lord, we pray that, uh, that, that that church and us would be faithful to the gospel, that we would continue to proclaim that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And though there may be things about your word and about how we worship that, that are different in form, that, that the gospel would be unifying above all things and that we would trust that it is your power for salvation to all who believe. We would not think we need to add power to the gospel, but that we would simply trust that it is able to do what your spirit empowers it to do and what you have promised you would do with your word. Lord, we pray this morning also for the Christian Aid Center. Uh, we, we join them in praising you for what you have done among the women and, and those who are graduating from the program there. Uh, Lord, we thank you that there is a greater uh, participation in some of the recovery programs there and that people are, are, are reaching out to, see their, uh, to seek help uh, in, in some of that recovery from them. And Lord, we thank you that there's a, uh, this evening program that's been going on that's been building community. And uh, we just thank you for all of those opportunities. But Lord, we, uh, we share in the request for them as well that their food pantry would be uh, refilled as it needs uh, items and is running really low. Lord, we pray uh, with them as they're asking for prayer for courage uh, in this time, and also patience in this difficult time as well. Lord, we pray that they would be a, a gospel-centered ministry that always trusts uh, and rests in the gospel to, to provide ultimate healing. Lord, we pray that they would uh, connect those who come into uh, the shelter, whether it be men's or women's, to churches and, 
And as they hear the gospel and trust the gospel and get connected to your people, that they might see their lives transformed. Lord, we pray for faithfulness and wisdom for all of their uh, teachers and, and Bible study leaders. Lord, let the word sound forth from us. Let us uh, willingly uh, take the word uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world and call people to be reconciled to you. Lord, Lord, may that happen from the pulpit. May that happen in, in our classes, uh, our growth groups, but in our daily lives as well, wherever we live and work and play, Lord, that we would uh, use those as opportunities to share the gospel. Lord, as we turn to your word now, give us open eyes to understand it. Give us soft hearts to obey it. and Do glorious things in us and through us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, we had started looking at verses 24 through 29, and, and initially, as I was studying Colossians, I had intended that to be one sermon, but it was just too big and too much for one, so, so we split it. And so uh, we've been looking in these verses, uh, again, verses 24 through 29, at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and by extension, to us as well. It is not just the Apostle Paul who is called to gospel ministry, but everybody who has ever been, who has ever trusted in Jesus Christ. Because, particularly, ministry is just an outpouring, a natural outpouring from our lives of all that we've seen up to this point in this text. And I mean, Paul starts out in chapter one by giving thanks for the faith that they have and this trust in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain that Jesus is our supreme redeemer, forgiving our sins, buying us out of the deadness of our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. That Jesus is also uh, the supreme ruler over all things. That he is not only the head of the church, but he rules over the whole world and there is no end to, to his dominion, no end to where he reigns. And then we saw that Jesus is also the supreme reconciler, that he reconciles us to God uh, and, and himself, but, but by implication and by actually necessity, he reconciles us to one another. That it's not just to him that he reconciles us, he reconciles us to one another. And so then, then there's this outpouring of joy from Paul, beginning in, in verse 24, that flows naturally out of who God is as supreme redeemer, ruler, and reconciler. But not just for who Jesus is, but who he has made us to be. In verse 21, Paul reminds us that formerly, before we had trusted Christ, before we were born again to a living hope, as we're told in, in 1 Peter, that we were alienated from God, hostile and in our mind, and, and doing evil deeds, alienated, hostile, evil. But now, verse 22, in Christ, because of Christ, and because we've been placed in Christ, we are holy and blameless and above reproach. We've been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to one another. And the, the, the only appropriate response from the Apostle Paul and from us as well is to call others to be reconciled to God, to see ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ. Now, I think there's an inherent danger in last week's message. And, and, and it's not going to be the same danger for, for all of us. Uh, but the, the danger is, is to think, uh, I need to do more. Wait a minute, Logan. 
You told us we're to be servants of Jesus Christ. You told us we're to serve Jesus by serving the body. You told us we're supposed to go out and serve others. And now you're telling us that there's danger in thinking that we need to do more? Well, yeah, I think there is danger in that. Or maybe the danger looks like this. How dare he ask me to do more? As if it was me and not the word of God. Or it might look like this. I'm busy. I don't have time for that. See, see the thing is, inherently what we do is we say, oh, pastors, is, it's, it's like the two hardest things for pastors to talk about. Serving and money. Because inevitably, people think we're just going to say, oh, I just want you to do more. I just want you to give more. Or you're not doing enough. Or you're not giving enough. And that was not at all what I was trying to convey last week. To be sure, maybe there's someone here who needs to do more. If you're serving nowhere and, and your takeaway from last week was, I need to do more, that's probably right. But inevitably, here's where the danger comes in. Let me see if I can boil this down. The danger comes in when people are already doing much and they think, uh, well, I need to do more. There, there's uh, forever in church ministry, if you go to Bible college or seminary or you've served anywhere in church leadership, you're probably very familiar with the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule is that 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of its members. And it should be the 100-100 rule. That 100% of the work in the church is being done by 100% of its members. That, that you can't divide that up evenly. It's not a tit-for-tat thing. Uh, God has uh, done different things in our lives in different stages of life and at different times. And so sometimes we can give more in the church and in the world, sometimes less. Uh, sometimes if, I mean, if you have a, a young family, that is your first ministry. And you should never neglect your family for the sake of, of service elsewhere. Uh, but you can also serve alongside with your family. Anyways, uh, I, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit trail I didn't intend to go. Here's my point. My point may be, or my point is that you may be serving well and, and, and inherently a server and then putting an undue pressure on yourself to think you need to do more. But if the idea of one more hour a week of service is a daunting thing. Where am I going to get one more hour to serve the church? Where am I going to get one more hour to serve the world? The reality is, is much worse than that. Jesus does not want, nor demand, nor deserve one more hour. He deserves them all. Every single hour of every single day belongs to him. He is Lord. He is supreme reconciler. He is supreme ruler and redeemer. And so what Jesus is asking of us as his people is not to do one more thing, but to surrender it all. Now, if that sounds daunting, I would actually charge that it's probably the best news I could give you in terms of what it means to serve Jesus. How is that possible, Logan? How, how can that be good news for my schedule in this, in this busy world? Well, I, I, think, I think the reason it's good news is because uh, uh, God isn't asking for you to necessarily do one more thing. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. 
I think what he's asking you to do is to be a gospel minister in the things that you're already doing. What, where is it in your life, what is, where, where are some spaces in your life where you can invite somebody in to do something you're already doing? Ryan Davenport, a few weeks ago, he, he shared with us his testimony of going to church, and he wasn't too happy about that, but Katie dragged him there, and, and then the pastor invited them over to dinner, and she said yes, and he thought that was a really bad idea, but they went anyways. They had dinner with, with, the, with his pastor uh, up in Spokane, Kyle, and then afterwards they watched a basketball game. Kyle was just, he was going to be eating dinner anyways. He was going to be watching the basketball anyways, and he just invited people along to do that with him. And in fact, that's the story of my life. The reason the the church has had such an impact on my life, particularly as I was growing up, was not because there were people in the church who carved out one more hour a week to do something, but who invited me in to their lives, into the things that they were already doing. I went to work with a man from the church rather than going to daycare in, in the summers, you know, being a child of a single mom. I went to people's homes. Uh, they, they, when they were traveling for uh, this, that, or the other, maybe it's a work trip, maybe it's a business trip, they just invited me in as it was appropriate and they were available. Why don't you come along? Where in your life, what are you doing already that you could invite somebody into? Maybe it's you're, you're going to be on a road trip for work and somebody can, can join you and there's windshield time. Maybe you have a hobby that you love. Rather than thinking, I need to give up that hobby to, to uh, do something else, why don't you redeem that hobby by inviting somebody from your neighborhood or, or from work or from church or uh, like me, maybe the son of a single mother to go along with you. Uh, Jesus doesn't want one more hour. He wants every single one. It could be a barbecue. It could be a block party. It could be a sports game, a meal, a road trip, a hobby. Rather than thinking, how can I give up these things to do one more thing at the church? Let's think in terms of redeeming the things that we already do for the purpose of gospel ministry, for the purpose of the kingdom. Well, let's get to the text now. Last week, we saw the first three realities of gospel ministry. The first one was our perspective, and it's joy. Uh, Paul rejoiced in his suffering. He rejoiced having been called to follow Christ and to call others to follow, a Christ, to follow Christ as well. The reality is it's a great privilege to be in the service of the king. The second aspect of, of ministry that we looked at was the problems, suffering and affliction. Ministry was hard for Jesus, ministry was hard for Paul, and sometimes ministry will be hard for us. Sometimes there will be suffering and affliction. We might be rejected as Christ was. We might, uh, I mean, in, in some places of the world, you might even lose your life for it. But there is suffering and difficulty in this world. But, but I think maybe, uh, rather than trying to, uh, let me just be real transparent with you here. Again, this is not in my notes. One of my idols that rises up easily in my heart is, is ease of circumstances or comfort. And, and I'll, I'll be, um, I, I, when, when somebody threatens that, the, the ease of my circumstances, 
I can sometimes be quick to lash out. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to, to suffer. I don't want life to be hard. But you know what? As much as I fight and struggle and try to orchestrate a life free from difficulty, I just can't ever do it. <laughs> we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's been cursed by God and where sin still has horrible effects. I think the better outlook in our lives is rather than trying to eliminate the difficulty of the circumstances that's going to happen, we can redeem them by being gospel ministers even through our suffering and even through our difficulty. And then thirdly, we saw the posture of gospel ministry, and that is that we are servants of God first and foremost, and each other and the world after that. Well, the next three realities of gospel ministry, and we're going to look at these pretty quickly today. Number four is the purpose. What is the purpose of gospel ministry? It is, as Paul tells us here in verse 25 and 28, maturity. Look with me at verse 28 of chapter 1. Him we proclaim, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now the reality is this side of heaven, that never happens. There's always one more sin to put to death. There's always one more step of obedience. There's always more to learn about God. And ultimately, that this process of becoming a mature believer, a mature follower of Jesus Christ, culminates in glory, either when Christ takes his church to be with him or when we die and we go to be with him. But this side of heaven, there's always another step. And so, so we seek to present everyone mature in Christ. And this is what Trinity is all about, right? Out of passion for God and compassion for others, we meet people where they're at and help them take next steps in following wholehearted, uh, in becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus. This is what we are. This is why we exist. Whether it's in here or out there, we meet people where they're at and help them to take next steps. I've, I've had people tell me, I've been following Jesus for so long and, and I, I feel so immature still. I feel like there's been time wasted. I feel like I, I could have grown so much more. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure. But wherever you are spiritually, from mature to immature, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. There is shame in staying there. Right? When a two-year-old acts like a two-year-old, we go, well, they're acting like a two-year-old. But when a 30-year-old acts like a two-year-old, we go, something ain't right there. <laughs> Something's a little off. There's no shame in wherever you are spiritually. There's, there's no shame in, in, in needing to grow because we all need to grow. I'll tell you what, uh, you should fight whatever temptation you have in thinking that, that the pastors and elders are fully mature non-growing uh, followers of Jesus Christ or, or that we've got this whole book figured out. But what I learn every week when I sit down and study God's word and, and when it convicts me and challenges me and encourages me is incredible. I'm not up here because I have all the answers. 
I just am grateful that you guys have given me the opportunity to spend my labor working at understanding God's word and sharing it with you. But I learn a tremendous amount week in and week out. We are all growing. But I think the question before us is if the goal of gospel ministry, whether that's to believers or non-believers, is to present people mature, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us exactly how he did that here. Look with me at verse 25. He says, I became a minister, that is, uh, to, to the church and, and of Christ. He became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Here's the purpose of the stewardship, to make the word of God fully known. How do we present people mature in Christ? We make the word of God fully known. Second Timothy, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this. All scripture, all scripture, Old and New Testaments, Genesis through Revelation, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's all from God, it's all the word of God, he has given us all of it, and all of it is profitable. It has value. It does something among us. What does it do? It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, these four terms, they don't refer to the same thing. The first two uh, refer to how we think. The second two to how we live. All Scripture has profit and value for teaching us what to think. That's teaching. What not to think, that's reproof. For correction, that's how not to live. And for training in righteousness, that's how to live. Verse 17, in order that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice that complete there didn't have to do with knowledge. It wasn't that the man of God, a term in scripture that is used of, of prophets and priests and pastors, it's a, it's a leadership term in, in, in the church. It didn't say that they were complete knowing all theology, that they were complete having every good thing in mind. It said that they were complete and mature, equipped for every good work. The word, what it does in us when we learn it is not just inform our minds, but it informs our lives. It comes into our head and comes out of our mouths and out of the way we live and to, to our neighbors. But the thing, the point I'm trying to make here is that the, the, the word of God is sufficient for maturing the people of God. It's also sufficient, uh, Romans 1.16, uh, to save people. Oh, this is such good news to me because there's so many reasons why I shouldn't share the gospel. What happens when somebody asks me a question about the Bible that I don't know the answer to? What happens when they have some argument that I, I, can't, I, 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 don't, I can't undo? What happens when they just, they just don't know Jesus? Or, or how am I, a simple Christian who, who does whatever it is you do day in or day out, how am I supposed to, to help people be mature? Well, the truth of the matter is none of us are equipped for that task. But the word of God and the spirit of God are. In fact, in Colossians, or 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul says that this church in Corinth that is divided and following different leaders. Some say, I follow Paul, some Apollo, some Cephas, that's Peter, some Christ. Paul says to them, who are these guys? Who's Paul or Peter or Apollos? They're just men, just servants. 
Then he says this, he who plants and he who waters is nothing but God who gives the increase. It's not you who increases the word in people's lives. It's God who does that. But what we do is we go out and we sow the word into people's lives. You want to know how to be of spiritual benefit to somebody? How to help present them mature in Christ without all the answers? Just hold each other accountable to reading the Bible together and meeting together. You want to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, but you're not sure what to say? Well, we've got some resources that could help you, and, and you should come see us, and we, we would be glad to share those with you. But just invite them to read the book of Mark together and talk about it once a week, one chapter a week. Uh, you never know when they're going to say yes. I've invited people into that, and they've said yes. The purpose of gospel ministry is maturity, but it is not you or I that is sufficient for such things. It is the word of God. And so we proclaim the word of God, and we make the word of God fully known. The fifth reality of gospel ministry is the proclamation. What is it that we tell people? In this gospel ministry, when we leave this place today and we go out into the world as those who have been tasked by God to call people to be reconciled to, to him, what do we tell them? We tell them of Jesus. Look with me at verses 26 through 28. The, the, so Paul says at the end of verse 25, actually, we'll pick it up there, that he, he has... Um, he has been given this ministry, this stewardship, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages. Now, he doesn't elaborate here in Colossians on what this mystery is, but in Ephesians he does, and the mystery is the church. If you, if you com completely separate yourself from the New Testament and just read the Old Testament, there is no indication anywhere in it that God would take one nation and then every other nation and turn people from all of those nations into one new, united, unified people where ethnicity does not matter, where economic status does not matter, when nothing matters more or at all except our trust and faith and commonality in Jesus Christ. And so there's this great mystery. In fact, we see it in Acts. As the apostles go out and they share the gospel with Gentiles and Gentiles believe and then they go back to Jerusalem and they tell the church in Jerusalem that Gentiles are believing and, and the leaders at the church in Jerusalem go, what are you doing? You can't share the gospel with those people. And they say, but we told them and they believed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and God showed us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit when they spoke in tongues. They spoke in these known languages and the whole church in Jerusalem sits around and goes, well, I guess salvation has come to the Gentiles. All the evidences of God's salvation is upon them. They weren't expecting it. They weren't looking for it. But, but God has given this ministry to Paul to proclaim this, ministry, or this mystery that, 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 that Jew and Gentile, any ethnicity, any socioeconomic status, any gender, anybody, anywhere has the opportunity to hear the gospel and to trust Jesus Christ. Our job is not to be discriminate in who or where we sow the seed of the word of God. We tell everybody. And then we let God do what God is going to do. That's the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. We're going to see that here now in verse 27. To them God chose to make known, here's the mystery, how great among the Gentiles 
I'm so grateful for that because I'm one of them, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we proclaim, that through faith, Christ can be in you. And when you trust him and not yourself, there is hope. And again, it's not, it's not a subjective hope. It's not the feeling of hope. It's actual hope. It's the hope of glory that someday those who have trusted in Christ will be with him forever. Verse 28. So what do we do? Him we proclaim. Notice he does not say there, him I proclaim. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What's the, what's the message of gospel ministry? It's not five steps to a more obedient child. It's not ten steps to a better marriage. You want better children? You want a better marriage? Scripture's full of teaching on that, and I wouldn't say otherwise. But without Jesus, what's the point? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We proclaim Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verses 23 through 25, you can look at it later. Paul says, we preach Christ and him crucified. To Jew and Gentile, we tell people what Jesus has done for us. We tell people that we're, we're wretched sinners. You want to you let people know about sin? You want to talk about sin? Don't throw stones at them. Confess your own. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I have violated God's law, as have we all. But Christ became one of us, perfectly obedient to God's law dying in our place, a death he did not deserve, rising again victoriously three days later, and offering hope of glory to all who would trust him. Him we proclaim. Gospel ministry in the church and in the world must be a proclamation of the greatness of Jesus Christ. And then maybe the best news of all of this is the power Number six, the sixth reality of our ministry. The power in this ministry that we're called to is God. Paul says there in verse 29, for this I toil. The this there refers to presenting everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. We, we work for maturity, but it's not in our own strength. This isn't an excuse not to work. The language Paul uses here is strong. For this I toil. Toil is the Greek word kopiao, which means, uh, it, it means to, to labor to the point of exhaustion. Have you ever worked so hard that at the end of the day, you're literally just ready to collapse? Paul says, for this I, I toil to the point of of exhaustion. And then the next word, struggling, which further defines uh, the word toil, is a word that you might hear an English word in. It's agonizomai. Agony. For this I toil to exhaustion, agonizing. This is not an excuse to not be involved in gospel ministry. It's, it's not a, an opportunity to say, well, God will do it. He is faithful. 
He's going to call people to himself. I don't have to tell people about Jesus. No, Paul and us, we toil and we agonize, but we don't do it in our own strength. We do it with his energy that he powerfully works through us. This was Jesus' final reminder to the apostles. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He gives them his final instruction and us. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, uh, baptizing them and, and, and teaching them to obey. And he doesn't just stop there, right? He says, and... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Acts, he promises that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit who will help them. He says, look, you guys wait. Hold on. I'm leaving. And when I go, the Holy Spirit's coming. And when he comes, you'll know. Last night, uh, Bradley, he asked me, we were in the store. He says, Dad, how do you make butter? And I bought some heavy whipping cream. We went home and I said, get a jar. And he got a jar. And, he, and I said, start shaking. And he says, how am I going to know when it's done, Dad? I said, oh, you'll know. And all of a sudden, like almost instantaneously, it turns into butter and buttermilk. And, and you got this little solid lump of butter in there. All of a sudden, you know when something's happened. Jesus is like, well, you go, you go to Jerusalem and you just wait. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll know. And visible tongues of fire descend, and they're filled with the Spirit, and they go out. And what, what is the immediate result of being filled with the Spirit? They proclaim Christ and Him crucified. God has given us His Spirit so that we might go out into the world and tell people who Jesus is. We work, but we don't work in our own strength and in our own, and, and in our own power. This would be like getting out a power saw, not plugging it in, and trying to cut a piece of wood. You, you, might, you might do it eventually, but a tool in the end is just a tool. It doesn't do much until it is filled with power. And God says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and he's going to fill you with power. And you are going to be my tools out, not just in. You're not going to stay in the upper room. You're not even going to stay in Jerusalem. You're going to be filled with the spirit, filled with my power, and you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's a, those are expanding concentric circles. It's like you're going to go out of this place filled with the spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses to Walla Walla and in Walla Walla County and in Washington and to the ends of the earth. But see, the thing is, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're designed to be conduits of his power, not containers of it. When you plug in a power tool and it's connected to the source of power, instantaneously it's filled. The copper wires in your house, the copper wire in, in the tool are filled with electricity, but not very much. There's not much power there. But as soon as you pull the button or the switch on that power tool, a tremendous amount of power begins to flow through that tool. And what it can do with power flowing through it versus power just sitting in it is tremendous. And I think a lot of us, we plug in to the wall. We read our Bibles as an excellent thing. We proclaim that the word is sufficient. 
We go to church and we worship together and we attend Bible studies and we pray and all of those are good things. I'm not minimizing those at all. But we're like looking for this, this experience of power. And if the pastor would just be a better preacher, I would have more power. Or if the music was better, or if the music was a different style, I would have more power. If we had more young people, we would have more power. If we had, whatever, you can think of a thousand things. If we had smoke and lights, we would have more power. And all of that, as essential as it is, as important as it is, as power-filled as they are, they're all sources of power. But until we go out and share the gospel with others, until we get engaged in gospel ministry, we're just a container of God's power rather than a conduit of it. If you want to experience, if you want to have an experience of the power of God, labor and toil to present people mature in Christ. Go tell somebody about Jesus. I'll never forget an experience I had. I was at a, a youth camp. I was a young Bible college student. I did not know my Bible very well. But I was doing dishes in the kitchen one day at this camp. And, uh, and, and this, uh, this gal was in there. There was a group of us doing dishes, and she was not a believer. And she's like, I got some questions. And I'm like, I don't think I have any answers but okay. And she started asking me questions. And I shocked myself later. I mean, I, sh I was just shocked as, as verse just started flowing out of me. It wasn't something I'd never read. They were verses I'd read and books I'd read, but I had this unbelievable ability in that moment to recall not only the wording of the verse, but the reference of the verse and have this conversation. And the youth pastor I was working with later, he's like, man, I was listening through the kitchen door the earlier, and that was incredible. And I was like, Jim, you have to understand, there was nothing about that that was me. I don't know where that came from. And what I did remember is Jesus said, when I go, I'll send the Spirit. I'll send the Helper and he will remind you of all that I have taught you. If you want to experience the power of God, it's not going to come from lights up, lights down, uh, smoke, mirrors, lights, better preaching, better music. It, it, we, are, we have to tap into that power. We have to plug in in the church and into God's word and, and, and into uh, prayer. There is great potential power there, but you will never comprehend how great the power of God is until it's flowing through you and not just sitting in you. We are conduits of God's grace into the world, not containers of it. We are conduits of God's mercy in the world, not containers of it. God, God desires to have his word flow into us and out of us. And if you would seek that experience of power, Go tell someone about Jesus. But, but don't connect the experience with their response. Connect your experience with what God does in you and through you. This is uh, next week. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the end of chapter uh, 2 of Acts. And we're going to start talking about Easter and, and, and what a COVID Easter might look like this year. Um, 
COVID presents some challenges for Easter, but I think it's going to present us with some incredible opportunities. So I want to give you just a first step in this challenge to be a conduit of God's grace and not just a container uh, of, of it. You're going to find these all over the church today. There are uh, small cards like this that say you're invited and they've got information about Easter. There's door hangers like this. We're gonna, I'm going to challenge you with the, with the 12 house challenge. What's the 12 house challenge? Well, these have a spot for you to put your name. I'm going to put my name and phone number and I'm going to put my address on here so that my neighbors know who it is. And then three neighbors to my right, three neighbors to my left, and six across the street at minimum are going to get one of these. They're going to know where I am. They're going to know who I am, and they're going to know what I'm inviting them to. Grab some of these. Jennifer and I were walking at Murr Park the other day, and I was like, I'm going to grab a stack of these and just walk around the park and be like, hey, come join us at Easter. Come on. Come, 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 come celebrate with us. My neighbor and I were out shoveling snow the other day, and he's like, oh, are you guys having church services yet? I'm like, yeah, for months. He's like, really? I said, yeah, you should come. This would be a handy thing to put in his hand. Put it somewhere in your car, on a mirror, at home, on the fridge, and just every time you see it, Pray for those who you've invited to come. We want to do more than invite people to come to church. We want to invite people to come to Jesus. But a great first start is inviting them to come to church. Uh, it's a little easier. So these are all over the place. Pick them up. 12 house challenge. Uh, let, let's, let's see what we can do. And next week, we're going to take a, a greater look at, at um, what Easter here this year might look like. But let's, let's be determined in our minds that we will proclaim Christ. We will trust his word to be sufficient. And we will be conduits of God's grace, not merely containers of it. Lord, we thank you that you have poured your grace into us. Lord, we thank you that as we plug into your word and plug into the body of Christ and plug into prayer and are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is great power there for our salvation. There is great power there for our maturity. But you have designed us to spread that power to be conduits of it, to, to spread your word, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you, would you give us boldness when we're afraid? Would you give us a willingness to make the most of our opportunities when, when as so often is the case with me, we, we clam up and don't say anything? Would you show us that rather than giving one more hour a week that you, you own them all? You have purchased them all. You rule over them all. And may, may we see that every opportunity we have, every person we pass, everybody we engage in the store, at work, where we live, where we play, everywhere, is somebody that we can just invite into normal things. Maybe even it's just a normal conversation. That we would, be, that we would seek to, to use all of our lives, all of our time, all of our day all of our days to serve you. Lord, you have not called us to be hermits, hold up. You have also not called us to labor beyond what you ha have made us able to. Lord, you have made us feeble. We only have so much energy. You have commanded rest of us. And so we want to toil, even to the point of exhaustion, struggling with the power that you have in us, but we want to do so obediently faithful to our families, faithful to you, faithful to our, our spouses, faithful to the church.
faithful to rest even, but that we would with great balance and understanding that you are Lord over every moment, every hour, every second of our lives. Consider how we might be conduits of your love and grace and kindness and mercy in the world. And do it that you might be glorified and enjoyed eternally. And we ask it in Jesus' name.